Welcome back to Pastor Life Podcast from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. I'm Rhonda Blevins, Pinnacle Associate and Pastor of Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida. And I'm David Brown, Pinnacle Associate and Pastor of the Welcome Table in Rock Hill, South Carolina. We're recording this episode on April the 27th, I believe. Uh, you know, the dates <laughs> are kind of running together for me, Rhonda. I it's, think that's uh, right. I think that's right. It's post-Easter. It's sometime late in April. Um, I may not know what day it is, but I do know who we welcome to the podcast today, and it's our, our friend and Pinnacle Leadership Associate colleague, the Reverend Dr. Doug Cushing. Yeah, Doug is one of the very first Pinnacle Leadership Associates, along with founder Mark Tidsworth. And um, every time I'm around Doug, he always lends insight, and I always learn something from Doug. Uh, Doug is known as the church planter extraordinaire on our Pinnacle Leadership team. He lives in Leland, North Carolina, where he is also the pastor of the Bridge Presbyterian Church, PCUSA. Well, and we love having Doug on the podcast because he has maybe among the Pinnacle team the best podcasting voice. So we'll all be trying <laughs> to to live up to Doug's podcasting voice today. Um, and Doug, actually, uh, the subject he's going to be talking about with us today is sermon-based small groups. And Doug does happen to, to have a book that is in process um, so we don't really know any more details to give you than that, um, but I'm sure when we do have those, uh, you will hear about it through Pinnacle and through Pinnacle Leadership Press. Yeah, that's right. So I look forward to reading that book and learning from Doug. I have uh, at my church attempted some sermon-based small groups, and I think they went pretty well, but sustaining them is what I'm going to ask Doug about. So hopefully he'll be able to coach me a little bit on how to sustain them once we get them off the ground. So uh, with that, let's welcome to the pod, Reverend Dr. Doug Cushing. Hey, everybody. I'm using my best radio voice. (laughs) (laughs) We knew you would. If if God is a man, God sounds like Doug Cushing. (laughs) (laughs) So are we going to get into that theological conversation today? I think that's another episode, don't you? (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. We'll save that one. I'm going to write it down. Very good. Very good. (laughs) Doug, welcome. Is there anything that you would add to Rhonda's glowing introduction? No. (laughs) (laughs) Rhonda, great job. (laughs) Thanks. It's great to be with you all, and I'm so grateful for this ministry that you all have through Pinnacle and opportunity to chat with you all and with other pastors. Yeah, thank you. So um, you, you already heard my introduction, but we maybe won't start with my question. Let's start, Doug, with um, why sermon-based small groups? Tell us why this is on your heart and mind to teach us as you teach us something that we don't know. <laughs> okay, great. Well, <clears throat> sermon-based small groups have been a part of the church that I am uh, fortunate to lead since since its inception. So there's a lot of good rationale in normal times to do sermon-based small groups, but we're really in extraordinary times coming out of a pandemic, hopefully coming out of a pandemic um, and moving forward. We're in really uncharted territory. And I think sermon-based small groups are a way to re-engage 
folks in our church and folks outside of the church who are looking for ways to re-engage. We've talked about this with our Pinnacle colleagues before. And one of the things that many of us are seeing in our churches is that there is a reticence by even long-standing members of our church to reconnect. And for good reason. Some people feel like uh, they feel ashamed because they've stepped away from the church for an extended period of time. They're embarrassed about their behavior. Some people uh, in our churches are hesitant to reconnect because they feel a little embarrassed that maybe they've made some poor choices in their life and they're <clears throat> a little embarrassed to stand in the presence of God and and uh, and other believers. So there's this reticence about getting back into the life of the church. There's also a reticence because, you know, during COVID, there was a lot of uh, polarization around political issues. And so because of that, I think sermon-based small groups provide a very safe way for people to enter what we call a side door rather than the front door of the church, especially now when we have, we're all virtually uh, and technologically advanced since pre-COVID. So I think many of the pastors or church leaders who might be listening in today are very familiar with the terminology of small groups in the church setting, but you're adding the descriptor sermon-based small group. So for somebody who hasn't really thought about what that means, why don't you tell us just a little bit about what you mean by sermon-based small groups? Sure. Um, we run sermon-based small groups at the bridge about four times per year, about once a quarter. Our sermon-based small groups, they usually last six to 10 weeks, um, and they are always aligned, in the case of the bridge, with a sermon series that I've prepared, okay? So an example might be um, the Lenten sermon series that we just did. It was called Finding, Finding Our Lord in the Wilderness of Lent, okay? Each of our small groups is has two facilitators. Those facilitators go through training prior to the sermon series, and then each small group meets in someone's home. We have one group that actually meets at the church because they just don't want to do the home thing. The thing that makes one of the things that makes this unique is that, as you alluded to, the content for the small group is generated from not just the sermon, but more importantly, the texts of scripture that are used in the sermon. So I, I get kind of energized before sermon series. So I write my sermons ahead of time. So if it's a six, eight week sermon, I try to write or at least outline all the sermons well in advance, um, which is hard work. But once it's done, it is a great feeling to have those no sermons. Doubt. In the bag. That's right. <clears throat> and then what I do is the week prior to the sermon, I will write the sermon-based study guide, small group study guide, and then I will send it to the co-facilitators along with a hard copy of the sermon. Okay. Um, typically, I email that to them like on a Thursday. That gives them a little bit of time to see what we're doing. And and then they send out the uh, sermon-based a study guide to the participants in their small groups. So that gives the added advantage of folks coming with a sense of preparation for Sunday worship. And it gives them an opportunity to, to even come with, with the uh, 
small group study guide and take notes during the sermon. So, so the, the uniqueness about this small group is that we base it on the content of the sermons and drill down especially deep in the texts of scripture that we use. <clears throat> yeah, that's helpful to think about that structure. Um, uh, when we kind of attempted a pilot, launched a pilot project at my church with sermon-based small groups, we did some of the same things. It was based on a sermon series and that kind of thing, but some of the structure you named wasn't what we employed, and so I'll be interested to see if it might go just a little better if we use some of your structure. But what would you say are the benefits for a congregation to use this? And, you know, how, how does it relate to ongoing Christian education or Sunday school or, you know, that kind of thing, programs that are already established? Sure. Well, ju- just I want to um, stay with the structure just a little bit more. Maybe this okay, will sure. help you and, ter- and others who might want to start this and help them to think along the lines of how to sustain this. We structure our weekly sermon-based small groups around our mission statement. Our mission mm-hmm. statement has to do with uh, connecting with God's people, connecting with God's presence, and connecting with God's purpose for your life. So like the first 15 minutes of the of the uh, small group is connect with God's people and, you know, they hang together, we do life together, share prayer concerns, just talk together, maybe have some light snack or a beverage. The goal is just to foster a deeper connection with each other. And then the second part, the long and the longest part, about 45, 50 minutes is connecting with God's presence. And that's when we do the study itself. I, I usually start with a some sort of a icebreaker. Sometimes when small groups know each other, they don't they don't drill down too deep on that. But you know, we we then get into the meat and potatoes of the study. We look at the I ask questions around quotes that I use in the sermon, and I ask questions around the texts of scripture that I use. And the neat thing is we all know that we all have more to share on Sunday in the sermons than we have time in our sermons. So sermon-based uh, small groups, our study guides can allow us to, can, you know, to to really backfill and give give uh, the listeners more information than we were able to give them on Sunday. Let them chase some rabbits if they want, based on what the passages of scripture are. But then, and this is the unique contribution, I think, to small groups, is the third part of our structure, and that is the last 15 minutes we connect with God's purpose. And at the beginning of each small group, we ask the group to prayerfully discern where and how they feel the Lord is calling them to join him in mission in our community. So each of the small groups chooses which of our sustainable mission partners or something they want to do on their own to engage and uh, follow Jesus into the community on mission. And so then, the, like if they want to do uh, um, work with Matthew's ministry and stuff, um, stuff backpacks with food, uh, then that's their that's their mission project. So so that's our structure: connect with people, connect with presence, and connect with purpose. So it's about eighty five minutes or ninety minutes, depending on how, how long folks want to want to want to chat. So and that, and, and I think that that's super helpful for them. But yeah, yeah. So you asked about some of the benefits. There's like, I think our survey small groups. There's benefits, first of all, to being together in worship. They increase worship attendance. They increase attentiveness in worship. Um, they increase retention 
and note-taking and discussion during the week. People uh, come with outlines many times in hand, so they take notes. They feel like they haven't just been sitting and getting. They feel like they're participating in worship. They often tell me that uh, it, it lends to, like if they go out for lunch with other friends from the church, they're talking about the sermon because they're more actively engaged. Um, educational theorists tell us that we forget most of what we hear unless we also interact with it visually, verbally, physically. So people in small groups, uh, the retention is, is much better. Um, also, we reach more people, especially in this virtual age when people are traveling. Uh, Sermon-based small groups are ideal because if people are traveling, they can just watch the worship service virtually and then still participate in their small group. So a lot of times people don't want to do small groups because they'll say, ah, you know, I'm going to be on vacation or we're going to go see the grandchildren. So I don't think I can really make a commitment to it. Uh, Sermon-based small groups make it easy because all I have to do is tune in virtually if they're going to be out of town. So it also, you know, um, <clears throat> it also benefits and helps grow disciples because it increases everybody's exposure to God's word. They're looking at the sermon and the passages repeatedly. It gives more space for the Holy Spirit to work. And um, participants uh, come much more prepared both to worship and to the small group because they've already heard the sermon. They've already interacted uh, with the sermon notes. So discussions are richer, they're deeper, they're more authentic because people are bringing themselves and what the Spirit is laying on their heart into their small group. Um, and one other thing that's really important about growing disciples is sermon-based small groups are so much easier to get leaders. You know, one of the one of the critiques about small groups is we can't find leaders. Sermon-based small groups are super easy because the bar is low. All you have to do is say, hey, come, come, to, come to church on Sunday. Here's the notes. Here's the hard copy of the sermon. And then you just have to lead, you just have to facilitate. You don't have to prepare for three hours uh, like, like, many small groups. So it has that expo it has that as well. But the, the best thing, the best benefit, I think, for the our small group is that it increases missional engagement in the neighborhood. As I mentioned, every one of our small groups is encouraged to select their own mission through prayerful discussion in their small group. Okay. And by doing that, it gives people ownership. It feels like everybody at the table has a voice about where they feel led to do a small, uh, to do a uh, mission in the community. You know, time was, remember when, when, when churches just had like these all church mission projects, like, okay, uh, Sunday, September 21st is our Habitat for Humanity work day. Well, that was cool in a bygone era, but what it does is it limits people because um, it, the date, the time is being chosen by a few people. And the project itself, like, I, I mean, I, I'm not very good at swinging a hammer. So Habitat for Humanity wouldn't be my go-to move on a mission if I was going to want to be on mission with Jesus in the community. So when you allow people in small groups to choose and to prayerfully discern the mission that they want to go on, it bonds the group. It gives everybody a voice. It gives them excitement. And then one of the things we do is we have each of the small groups do kind of a readout about what they did in mission in worship. So we have video, we have slides, and that increases the joy and the excitement of people being on mission. As you think back to 
developing sermon-based small groups, either in your congregation there, if, or if you did this prior as well, when, when you think about the early days of introducing this idea, concept to a congregation, um, how did that go? Um, what was the process? What was the response? Um, how have things developed and evolved as you have done this for a longer period of time? Yeah, great question. You know, it's a little bit different because this evolved in a new church. So we were setting template expectations for everything. And we were saying, this is how the, this is how the church is going to look and feel. So it was a little bit different than engaging an existing congregation. But the first thing we did is we said, who do we want to be together as God's people? So I preached a, a series of sermons based on Mark Tidsworth's book, uh, called Shift. And we talked about how the church is shifting. We said, what do we want to be? And then we said, hey, if you want a voice in this, come to a small group. And so we developed our core habits based on shift material. And everybody knew that they had a voice in saying, this is how we're going to be organized. Uh, you know, this is where we think the Spirit's leading us. So that's how we started it. Uh, and, and, and we wanted to make the bar low and we wanted to engage people in a way where they felt like they were part of the building blocks of, of the DNA of the, of the new church. Some of the ways that it's shifted over time is uh, we've taken some seasons where we said, okay, we're not going to do sermon-based small groups. Um, and then some seasons where I just offer one sermon-based small group, and then there's three or four other uh, small groups. So so we, we shift like that. The other thing we found is that some of our small groups struggle with what are we going to do and be on mission together. So one of the things we do is we give them an alternative. We say you can either choose what mission project what mission project you want to do and be on mission in the neighborhood with, or you can partner with what our mission team has identified as our mission of the month. So that way people don't spend inordinate amount of time trying to figure out what they want to do on mission together. That, that's really good. I like that you <laughs> give them an, an easy option there for mission. I think that's important. So if I might just ask a, a couple of practical questions, when you get your groups together, is it the same leaders with the same people or do you intentionally mix them up or how does that work? Yeah, we've, we've done it both ways. That's sort of a boilerplate small group question, I think. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've done it both ways. Um, some of our small groups have bonded really well and they want to stay together. And so we say, great, that, that's, that's awesome. Some of our small groups um, uh, really like to, to mix it up. And so we try to offer both of that because we realize that at some point, even when people are deeply connected to a small group, they may feel like, well, our time in this small group is coming to an end. And we want to jump to something else. So if a small group wants to stay together, we say stay together for the year. But then we give people an out at the end of the year and say, OK, we're going to reconfigure the small groups and you all sign up where you want to sign up. That's sort of a, a, a an easy way for people who are ready to move on to do so without hurting anybody's feelings. And you do that annually then? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But we also give opportunity for people to float during the year. But we try to say, let's let's stay together in your small group for a year. Um, like a lot of new churches, we get a lot of new folks that come in. And so this 
this is a time to, for them to make their primary connections because they're not going to do that on Sunday morning. Another practical question um, for me would be, is there ever, well, have you ever led a sermon-based small group yourself as the pastor? No, I don't. I don't because I really want folks to be able to push back, to say, I don't understand this, to say, I don't agree with it. So um, my wife doesn't join any of the sermon-based small groups <laughs> and I don't lead any of them because I want people to be authentic and, and I want people to have the freedom of knowing that they can disagree, they can push back, they can say that didn't make any sense. All the things that you might want to say, but you don't want to say around the, the pastor. Right. <laughs> In that respect, I, I'm sure and you, you're more than welcome to share some of the positive feedback that you've gotten along the way about sermon-based small groups. But uh, I'd also be interested to hear, you know, what sort of pushback do you get? Or do you get specific pushback about uh, a sermon that you preached or about uh, a line in a sermon that you preached or something like that? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, one of the things that if, if, if a congregation is interested in doing this, and I've done some workshops with congregations where we've done some pilot programs with this, is a pastor has to have some pretty thick skin because people are going to drill down deep in the sermon and they're going to see all the ways that it didn't make sense that we who are writing the sermons didn't see. You know how when you're writing your sermons, you don't always see the the uh, the uh, blind the blind sides and the and, and, and the things that don't make sense anyway that that happens all the time so you have to have some pretty thick skin but if you have a good relationship with your congregation it can be seen in helpful and 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 it, and it can be received in helpful ways um, but yeah I get I get I get comments many times where people say I just don't agree with this and that oftentimes leads to uh, deeper uh, conversations around God's word so, uh, and it, it helps me as a pastor recognize where the starting point for people's interpretive skills uh, are in scripture. And a lot of times, especially now, you know, people are looking at scripture through the lens of their political ideology. So um, critique and, and, and feedback allows greater engagement. And we said, well, well where, where, where'd you come up with that conclusion? And, and then we can go deeper. Speaking of Politics, your politics episode on our podcast, I think is the top episode, maybe apart from our very first episode, is the most listened to. So people are interested in in that topic and how we navigate that in the church. So and you know, thanks for saying that, Rhonda. That's another thing post-COVID is we're also have gone through two and a half years of real bitter, contentious polarization. And I think pastors oftentimes feel like they're in the crosshairs, like, okay, people will say, your prayer was too progressive, or your prayer was too conservative, or small groups are ways in which people can become vulnerable with each other. They can learn to how to agree to disagree, because the more you're in a small group, the more you're going to like the people in your, in your small group, and the more you like them, the more that dissonance between, hey, I like this person, but this person's coming at the world from a completely different political starting point than I am. So small groups can melt some of that tension that you can't engage in the pulpit. So, And, you know, that, that, that's another characteristic post, post-pandemic that we got to wrestle with. So I've got a congregation that I'm working with as a part of our reshaping church process with Pinnacle. And we had a coaching session this past week, and we're talking about re-engaging post-COVID 
or as we come out of COVID or whatever we're doing at the moment. And <laughs> they mentioned how their Sunday school hour and the various Sunday school classes who had been meeting before COVID just really had not come back together in the way that they were before. I think one adult Sunday school class has sort of begun meeting again at the church building on Sunday mornings, but others haven't. And so they're reading this as a sign that maybe the way they had been doing Sunday school is something to be left behind. I I wonder how you would position this conversation around sermon-based small groups to somebody who maybe has traditional Sunday school or maybe is wondering if traditional Sunday school is the thing that, that will continue to exist as we come back from COVID. Yeah. Thanks for that. That's such a timely question because everything is kind of up in the air and negotiable now as we're coming back and we're saying, all right, what's, what's not working or uh, we're learning what was not working before COVID because it's being revealed to us now. And oftentimes those conversations start and end around Sunday school, as you said, David. So this is a time of experimentation. It's a time when leaders and pastors can ask the question, is the spirit maybe nudging us towards something new? Um, so when I've done some workshops with this, I've invited uh, leadership teams and pastors not to do a wholesale change where you blow up Sunday school and start over because that's there's a, there's a lot of great things that happen in Sunday schools. But rather to say, hey, could we do a pilot program? So, but more more specifically, um, I think if churches are considering retooling or reexamining a Sunday school program, a couple of things to consider. First of all, a good starting point for the conversation should be around the question: Does this fit our God-given purpose? Does Sunday school really fit who our vocation? Who we think God is calling us to be? And the answer could be yes. Many Sunday schools are pillars of the church. They've transformed people's lives. Primary friendships are there. Um, that being said, every Sunday school class, like every ministry, has a starting and ending point. So does this fit our God-given purpose? So here's, I got a couple of pinch points that I talk about in my workshop about uh, how to test your Sunday school model. So a couple questions are, is Sunday school designed mostly for members or does the program connect with non-members or visitors? Another question, is Sunday school designed for Sunday morning only or does the church offer Christian formation on days not called Sunday? Does Sunday school lead to hands-on missional engagement that makes a difference in our communities as our Lord has called us to or does Sunday school lack opportunities to make a difference in our neighborhoods. And then finally, one more thought. If if we did not do Sunday school already, would we, knowing what we now know, launch Sunday school? Mm. So a couple pinch points to think about. Well, Doug, I understand you have a book coming out on this topic. Will you tell us a little bit about that and when and where we can look for that? I can't tell you the when and where. Well, the where would be uh, Pinnacle Press, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the number one, uh, number one publisher in America today. <laughs> and, 
that's the where. The when would be. I, I, I hope by by uh, the fall we'll have we'll have this out. Um, I was writing it before COVID, uh, and then as the pandemic um, took a lot of our time, I put it on the back burner. So I've been picking it up, and I've been having conversations with some of my coaching clients, both at Pinnacle and I do through our denomination. And there, there just seems to be a real energy around this. So, um, so yeah, we're going to talk about a lot of the things that we're talking about here, except we're going to drill deeper. And in the book, I want to try to make a deeper connection between helping a congregation find out its mission, asking questions. What is its mission? Asking questions. What is the Lord already at work doing in your neighborhood? And trying to connect the answers to those two questions with how one formulates sermon-based small groups. Because the unique piece about this, you know, there's a lot of churches that do sermon-based small groups. The unique piece that I would offer to the larger church is its uh, integral connection to being on mission in the neighborhood. So uh, I'll explore a lot of that. How do we how do we discern and figure out what the Lord's already at work doing? What's the Lord already work doing in our neighborhoods and in our church? How do we bridge that gap? And then how do we form sermon-based small groups based on all of that information? Well, we will look forward to reading it and to also sharing it, get, getting it out there in the hands of people when it is, uh, is available. So uh, thanks for sharing that with us, Doug. Is there any sort of final word of encouragement or advice that you would give to a pastor who is thinking about pitching the idea of sermon-based small groups in their setting? Uh, any, any thought you would give them or a place to start or just a word of encouragement and hope? Yeah, the word of encouragement I would have is that this is a season where our congregations are going to give us a lot more permission to do things new. Yeah. Behold, we make all things new, says our Lord. And so this is the time to 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 do those things that you as a as pastors have yearned to do. And if one of those is inviting your congregation to be on mission more vigorously, to have better participation in worship, um, to grow disciple making in your congregation, you might want to give this a give this idea a try uh, and know that. This is the season to do it. It's 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 been a hard couple of years for most of us, but coming out of it is this grand opportunity to experiment, to try new things, to get permission from the church to say, okay, let's see let's see if this is where the spirit's leading. Just one more concluding thought is uh, the Holy Spirit's working in new and exciting ways. Congregations open to it, so uh, this is a great opportunity. Sermon-based small groups is a great opportunity to explore that intersection. Well, thank you so much, Doug, for being on the pod today and teaching us about sermon-based small groups. Uh, I'm inspired to uh, maybe circle back around. The pilot project at my church went pretty well, but there's some things we could tweak to make it go better. And honestly, um, you know, my church is a snowbird church. A lot of our folks, you know, being late April, have either headed back north or are soon heading back north. And uh, we attempted to use sermon-based small groups last year to try to stay in touch with them. And so I'm reminded that I need to maybe get that going with a few tweaks and suggestions that you've offered today. So I thank you personally, and I think our listeners uh, will be happy to have learned from you around sermon-based small groups. Thanks for having me. Great to be with y'all, friends. 
Well, that's it for this episode of Pastor Life Podcast from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. I definitely learned a few things from our conversation with Doug Cushing, and I hope you all listening in have learned a few things as well. You can find contact information for David or for me, as well as for Doug, as well as the session notes for this episode at pinlead.com. That's P-I-N-N-L-E-A-D.com. We just want to take a minute here at the end to encourage all of you pastors who are out there, as Doug reminded us, that God is on mission in the world, and God has invited us to join in that mission. So as you go this week to live the pastor life, go knowing that God has work for you to do.